we are kind of towards the end of uh, a preaching series through the, the letter to the Ephesians. Uh, so I've been working through this for a, a number of weeks, a couple uh, months I think now. And uh, we are in chapter 5, beginning in verse 21 today. Uh, if you were with us last week, you, you'll know I, I kind of split this up into a two-part sermon. It was just, it's just such an important passage for us. It's this passage on marriage. And so uh, last week was part one. It was the why of, of marriage. So it was kind of connecting uh, marriage with the gospel and, and how that plays out and, and how God has given us marriage as a picture of the gospel. Um, now week two is where we get into the fun stuff. Um, week two is the how of marriage. So uh, if you miss week one, you can go back and listen to that again. But we're about to get down and dirty on, on the text today. So we're in the how of marriage today, kind of the practicing of the gospel today. So let's, uh, let's read the passage again. It's uh, beginning in verse 21 of chapter 5, and I'll go down through verse 33. This is uh, the word of the Lord for us this morning. The Apostle Paul writes, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife also, or he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask him to bless the preaching of it. Father, it's our deepest prayer that um, the meditations of all of our hearts and the words of this man's mouth would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock. And our Redeemer. So would you do just that for your own name's sake? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I have dabbled a little bit in gardening. Uh, I've, several times in my life I've told myself that I could be a good green thumb type of gardener. One of those experiences was in Jackson, Mississippi. Jackson, Mississippi, I was doing some schooling down there. We were, I was at seminary, which is where pastors go to school uh, to get training. And so I was in seminary and we started this borderline cult type of thing where we, we, we made our own garden on campus there. And so I had this little plot of garden and, um, and I, was gonna, I was just going to make the campus proud by having this great little plot. And so I, I did all the work, all the tilling for it, and I picked out all my plants. I had tomatoes and cucumbers, and of course I had to have some green chili planted, right? I was representing down south, just so you know. And so I, I did all this work and kind of had the plot ready, the, 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 the garden plot was ready for this ripe season. And, and I kind of did the work, and, and I'd go water it every once in a while, and, and the summer went on, and if you've ever been in the summer in the south, it kind of rains a lot on its own, and it's humid, and it's moist, and so it kind of thrives on its own. And so I really didn't pay much attention to the plot. And, yeah, 
it got out of hand at one point. In fact, at one point I got an email from the, the garden, uh, you know, whoever's coordinating the whole thing, and they said, Adam, you're going to need to give your, your plot some attention. The weeds, the weeds had just taken over the whole thing. It was just a big, hot mess of a garden plot. And, um, and so, you know, that's, that's the nature of, of gardening, right? Is, is you have to care for it. You have to tend it. You have to nurture it. You have to pull the weeds. You have to pay attention to it. You see, marriage is much like a garden. We oftentimes do a lot of the pre-work, preparing the ground, planting the seeds, getting everything ready, and we think it's just going to work without putting any work into it, and it's just not that way. Marriage requires a lot of nurturing, tending, and protecting out uh, from the weeds. Uh, last week, I defined marriage in this way. I said that marriage is when two flawed people come together to create a space of love, trust and acceptance okay so two flawed people come together and they're creating this space that is filled with love trust and acceptance that is the marriage garden that we are trying to to really procure and to, to thrive as, as as people and if we don't protect that plot the weeds will come in and take it over so here's my, my, here's our problem. Here's, here's your problem, here's my problem, is that we don't give our gardens the proper care and attention that they need. Today's passage is actually going to show us two radically countercultural ideas that give us protection for that marriage space and their submission and sacrifice. So I'm, I'm actually going to mix the metaphor here. Uh, it, if you want to protect that marriage space, if you want that to be a safe space, you need to put a fence around it. Now, I, I know fences don't really protect from weeds. I get it. I get the analogy. It breaks down. It's, I guess it's the, the plastic that would go under the, the dirt that would protect from weeds. But, but the fencing protects the garden nonetheless. And so here's what I want us to see today as we look at this passage, is that the marriage space of love, trust and acceptance is fenced in, protected by submission and by sacrifice. Okay, It's the way the text lays itself out. It's really simple. So those are the two things we're going to look at. So we're going to look at two things today from this passage. The first is we're going to look at love that submits in the first uh, three verses there, four verses there. And then we're going to look at love that sacrifices. So let's first look at love that submits. Um, I know we've got just a couple of raging um, UFC cage fighting type of fans in here. Most of our crowd, they're like, wait, what, what are we doing here? Listen, UFC is a, is a sport. It is. It's a, it's a bloody, gruesome sport, but it is a sport nonetheless. And if you're even been around Albuquerque at all, you know that we've got a hometown favorite, Holly Holm, right? So Holly Holm does UFC fighting. And if, if you know nothing about UFC fighting, you need to know this, that in order to win the, the UFC fight, the goal is to get your, your, the, your opponent to quote unquote tap out or to submit, okay? So it is the role, and Holly Holm is so good at this, unfortunately she was at the losing end of one of these recently, but it is your goal to break the will of your opponent so that they would submit to your will. It's the goal of the sport. And I think some of us come to a passage like this in the Bible and it's loaded with such misnomers and misconceptions about the idea of submission that we think it's like that. That submitting to your husband is just that. That your husband will domineer you in a way that you will submit to his will regardless. And I've got different news for you today. 
So here's, here's, here's when we hear the word submission, it's, it's got this black eye reputation, right? I mean, we hear the word submission, we think that's just so primitive. That's really demeaning. It's like, I mean, that is just this idea that's oppressive and it's degrading for women. We've, we've come way beyond this, Adam. Surely this can't be the way that God really wants us to, to marry and to wed. And I would suggest that it is, but let's, let's try to recapture and just, and, and just grasp a biblical sense of what this word submission actually means. When the culture, this is the culture at large, not the church, when the culture talks about a traditional marriage, they might associate this language of a wife submitting to her husband. And when the culture talks about traditional marriage, they primarily pair it up with the functions that a, and the division of labor within a marriage. So for instance, traditional marriage, according to culture, is that women will cook, clean, and do laundry, and that men will go make money. Right? It's a pretty simplistic version, but that's basically what culture tells us submission is. That's the traditional marriage. Well, the, the biblical marriage is, is actually something much different. It doesn't talk so much about the functions, namely what it is we do, but it talks more about the roles. And so who we are in that marriage. So it's not to say that women can't cook, clean, and do laundry. or And it's not to say that men can't cook, clean, and do laundry, because I promise you they can. The point is, how do we relate to each other in the midst of doing what it is that marriage would have us do? Let's do a little bit of word study. The word submit that's used here is actually a military word. The Bible frequently uses military language for us to understand things. And so the idea of submitting in the military was that a soldier would submit to a higher ranking officer. And so when you go into the military, you are submitting to the, to the hierarchy ranking system. Now, we're going we're gonna to nuance that a little bit in the marriage, but, but just think about the way that works. Whether you have any military experience or not, you know that when you go into the army or whatever branch of the military that you might be in, you are on some level surrendering rights. You are going to be told when and where to eat, pretty much, right away. You are going to be told where to be, when to be there. You are, in a sense, giving up some of your individuality. And the question is, why would you do that? And the answer to that question is, is relatively simple. Is, is when you submit your individual rights for the good of the whole, you're actually doing what that word tells you to do. And so it's this idea that you would willingly surrender something of your own rights so that the whole, the entity, whatever part that you're becoming a part of would thrive and would flourish. In this instance, it would be the military. So here's how I would define submission. Is that submission is a willingness to give up your individual rights for the good of the whole. Okay? It's a willingness to give up your rights. And this works for both parties. It's not just the wife. We'll talk about the husband's role. Listen, wives, we're getting to the husbands. If you actually look at the layout of this passage, 15 of the words in the Greek, at least, are, are geared towards the, the wives, and 40 are geared towards the men. So I've got, I've got some things that are coming for the men. But the, but the point is that we have to rid ourselves of this notion that we are the most important person in our marriage. That, that's when submission begins to happen, is when, when you take this willingness to admit that it's not just about you. That strips us of everything we've been taught. Our culture tells us to take care of ourselves. So what is the key, what does the passage tell us is the key for being able to submit to your husband? 
Look at the end of verse 21 and look at the end of verse 22. In the end of verse 21, it says that you submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. At the end of verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Um, there is this common misnomer in Scripture that associates reverence with fear. And when you hear the word fear, you think of you know dread, and you think of frightfulness, you think of scary, kind of dark, you know, degrading type of things, like you would come into the fear of something. But the way the Bible connects that word is actually to joy. So when you submit to a husband, when you willingly give up rights for the good of the whole, you're doing it out of joy for the Lord. You see, the Bible talks about fearing in the terms of being overwhelmed and utterly controlled by something. That's what it means to fear something. When it's, when it's so awesome and glorious that it, that it consumes you and it takes over all of who you are. And so when you fear the Lord, when you submit to your husband out of a reverence for Christ or as to the Lord, what you're doing is saying, God, you are fearfully beautiful. And because you are that, I will do this. What, what this text is showing us is that when we practice these things, submission to a husband, we are saying, God, you control me, you consume me, and my marriage will reflect that. You are saying, God, your love is so amazing, so undeniably consuming over my life, I'll do anything to have it, and I will show that in my marriage. So, what does it mean to submit? Let's, let's just get down to the kind of the practicality of that. That's, a, that's kind of the why behind it. Let's, let's, I want to make two kind of points here about submission. The first one is that submission means you're willing to be led. Um, maybe you've heard this phrase before. Uh, you may wear the pants in the family, but we all know who told you which pants to wear. You've heard that one, right? So it's just kind of this subversive thing that the, the woman's really ruling the thing behind the thing. Um, See, submission means you have this willingness to be led. That, that in your disposition, regardless of your kind of your personal, you know, characteristics or your own traits or the, the way that God wired you, if you're, if you're this strong, domineering female, that more power to you. That's, that's a wonderful thing to have. But there's this, there must be this willingness to be led. Um, because leadership must be met with submission, not opposition. One of the primary faults of men, and I'm going to get to them in a minute, is that we're extremely passive. We are. Our tendency is to lay back, lay cool, and stay out of trouble, right? Like, let me just kind of navigate that. And that's why, you know, matriarchal type of societies, they tend to do that, and the men just kind of go with, go with the flow, go with the show. Let's just do what mama says. And... Um, and here's, here's why that happens, is because when in submission there's not a willingness to be led, for instance, the one time that your man will step up to make a decision and it's met with opposition and not submission, guess what's gonna happen the next time? He ain't gonna make any decisions. If, if, if constantly the decisions are being thrown out there and they're always being opposed and, and not submitted to ever, if there's not this spirit of a willingness to let him lead, then he's not going to lead. He's going to be passive. So submission means you're willing to be led. The second thing it means is that you're willing to trust authority. 
See, I think we live in a culture, an American culture, where we think we're free from authority, like we've been freed from the tyranny of England or something, and we're living in like these, these, these first days of America. Like, listen, nobody is outside of authority. I don't know if that's news to you, but nobody but God himself is outside of authority. Okay, God has actually designed humanity to flourish under the structures of authority. And so the same thing is actually true in, in the marriage. That, that, that authority is not a thing to be thrown off or to be disregarded or to avoid at all costs. It's actually a place of deep and lasting rest. That, that when you submit to the authority of a man, that you, you can come under his loving leadership. Again, we're going to talk about what it looks like to come under loving leadership and not this, this domineering hierarchy. But when you submit to authority like that, you will find deep and lasting rest. Um, you know how Jesus, um, he, he came to set captives free. We talk about this a lot. That Jesus came to set captives free from their sin and their bondage to it. But, but it doesn't mean that we've, we're not under authority more. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 11. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is easy and my light. yoke is light. You know what a yoke was? It was that, it was that contraption that would, that would steer an animal, an ox, and it, would, it was their authority piece. And so here Jesus is saying yoking, authority, is not something that is inherently bad. So in the marriage, we're not talking about slavery, where everything is dictated, this, this husband owns you, owns you. We're not talking about subservience. We're not talking about this hierarchy kind of top-down thing. What we are talking about is complementary um, marriage. This idea that the husband's loving leadership is met with the wife's intelligent and valued response. That's what it means to complement each other. Is that you're willing to submit to authority, to trust his leadership, and that you're, and, and husbands hear this, that you're listening, that you're valuing, that you're hearing what they have to say. That's what it means to submit. So husbands, what does it mean to sacrifice? If this is what wives are to do, to whom should they be wanting to do this to? We'll look at the, the, the latter part of the verses where it talks about love that sacrifices. Um, I mentioned this earlier. The primary problem from the very beginning, even before sin came into the world, was the passivity of men. Um, if you're familiar with the Bible, we go back to Genesis a lot because that was where marriage was established in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 2, it tells us of this account where, where this talking serpent comes in and he, he tempts um, Eve with the, the fruit of the tree. You remember God gave them one rule to obey. He said, you shall not eat of this tree, this one tree. Every other tree you can enjoy, but not this one. Well, in comes this slithering serpent, this deceiver, and who does he go to? He doesn't go to the man, he goes to the woman. And what does he do? He's, he's subverting that design for marriage that God had. And so he goes to the woman, he tempts her, and he says, surely you won't die. I mean, it's good fruit, you're not going to die. And so Eve caves into the temptation, and then what does she do immediately after she eats it? She hands some to her husband, knowing that her husband, would, so the text tells us that her husband was there for this entire event. That's passivity. The man watched this deceiver come up to his wife and to, to lead her into rebellion. That's passivity. But God, in his infinite wisdom, who does he hold responsible for the act of rebellion? 
the man. When he comes, God comes into the garden and he says, what have you done? Where are, he says, where are you? They're hiding in shame. And he doesn't address the woman. He addresses the man. In other words, it was the man who was responsible for his family. And what should he have done? As opposed to being passive, what ought he have done? Crush the snake's head. That's what a, what a real man would have done. And he didn't do it. And so... So God has designed men to lead his wife and his family, if he has a family, through sacrifice. That's always the way that God's designed it from the very beginning. So what does sacrifice mean? I really want to kind of get into some practicality here with men real quick. The first thing that sacrifice means is dying to yourself, not just being inconvenienced. Um, the text is very clear. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is the finest and purest form of sacrifice ever, that one would lay down his life for the good of another. And here we see that Paul relates that to the husband. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He gave everything for her. Everything. He wasn't just inconvenienced. He wasn't just bothered. He laid it all out for her. So what is this? I mean, just real practically. Men are real practical. That's why I kind of want to just hover here for a minute. What does this look like in our lives? Well, I mean, it could be something as simple as preferring watching your wife's show over your NFL game. I know. I'm going to get some backlash. I know I'm stepping on toes. It's really simple. It's a really simple thing, but I mean, that, that really could be sacrifice to you. That, that, there's something to be said about that. When you say, you know what, I don't care about this game. Let's, let's do whatever. Uh, it could be a little more profound, and it could be putting your career la ladder on hold to put your wife on a career ladder of some sort. We don't oftentimes think about that. Um, there, th there are just innumerable ways in which sacrifice is to be the kind of the, the bloodline of our marriage. That's really what it's supposed to be, is that to, to model Christ's love for his church, to give everything away for her. That, that's, what he's, that's what he's urging us to do. So sacrifice means dying to yourself. But the a second thing it means is sacrifice means loving to purify. Um, marriage is primarily to prepare us for the future. Have you ever thought about that? Um, marriage is, is not for the future. Jesus actually said marriage, in, when the kingdom of God comes and the fullness, that marriage will be no more. This is a temporary thing. But it's, it's to prepare us for the future. Think about a wedding ceremony. A wedding ceremony, uh, a minister typically stands you know, in front of the people, and then the, the bride and the groom stand in front of the minister, and they are you know, dressed to the nines. You, know, you always wear the, your best, your best, your best. You're, you're, you're basically presenting yourself to a representative of the Lord. You're, you're making this present, presentation, and you're committing to each other's future. You're not really talking about how much you love them now, although that's part of it. But what you're saying is that, you know, in sickness and in health, in, in good times and in bad times, I will love you for until death parts us. And so it's this commitment to the future. And really, it's getting at what's behind this passage is that, that there is this very real sense in which we are committing to the goodness of our spouse for their future. I mean... 
the way this passage talks is a very heavy thing for us to consider, men. It talks about how we will be presenting our wives before the Lord when that day should come. That we, just like Christ, will present His church to Himself without spot and without wrinkle, without blemish. He will be perfect. So likewise, we men will be presenting our wives in some form or fashion to the Lord. So what does that mean for us now? Well, it means that we ought to be clothing our wives in prayer. And that we ought to be covering her with the Word. And that we ought to be making sure that she is in a place where, where she can be, you know, just be just consumed by God's grace and, and loved for and cared for in community. All of these avenues that the local church provides, this is what it means to purify our brides, to present them before the Lord. Sacrifice means loving to purify. And then the third thing that it means is that sacrifice from the head means nourishment for the body. I love, again, love the way the Bible is extremely practical. It gives us pictures that we understand. We know how a head works. We know how a body works. They're connected together. And what the passage is telling us is that when the head does what he's supposed to do, namely protect, provide, and nurture, the body gets what it needs. That's what our role is as husbands, is to nourish our wives. is to nourish the body that it needs from the head. And I'm going to talk about what it means when we, when we don't get that in a minute here. But I want you to know that when we do what we're supposed to do, our wives get what they need. And when our wives get what they need, we don't have to be their savior. That's, that's, the, that's a lot of the problems with our marriages is that, that we try to function as each other's saviors and that's not what God wants us to do. It wants us, he wants us to provide the loving care that we need for each other by submitting and by sacrificing for each other. Um, I want to close here. We're going to show a quick little video um, here in a second. Um, uh, Robertson McQuilkin. You don't know that name. I don't think any of you know that name. Robertson McQuilkin was a uh, president of Columbia University, which had a Bible college and also had a seminary. And he was in the prime of his career. He was a little bit short of um, retiring. And his wife, uh, his, she had, uh, was identified with Alzheimer's. She had Alzheimer's. And she was degrading quickly and, and very poorly. Her health was becoming very poor. And uh, during that time, the, the college wanted him to pursue the rest of his career. He had like eight years left, kind of to retirement. And he had been told by many people, godly people, that, that loved him and had their best interests in mind, that he ought to commit his wife um, to, to care, that she should be put into a home that could care for her. Um, and instead, he chose to do something entirely different. And so I want us to listen quickly. It's a, a quick two-minute video. It's not like riveting, cutting edge. It's kind of old school, and we ripped it off of YouTube. But it's um, this is Robertson McQuilkin's resignation speech for that university. So let's listen to that, and then I'll make a couple comments on it. I haven't in my life experienced easy decision-making on major decisions, but uh, one of the simplest and clearest decisions I've had to make is this one, because circumstances dictated it. Uh, Muriel, now, uh, in the last couple of months, 
seems to be almost happy when with me and almost never happy when not with me. In fact, she seems to feel trapped, becomes very fearful, sometimes almost terror. And when she can't get to me, there can be anger. She's in distress. But when I'm with her, she's happy and contented. And so I must be with her at all times. And you see, it's not only that I promise in sickness and in health, till death do us part. And I'm a man of my word. But as I have said, I don't know with this group, but I've said publicly, it's the only fair thing she sacrificed for me for 40 years to make my life possible. So, if I cared for her for 40 years, I'd still be in debt. However, there's much more. It's not that I have to, it's that I get to. I love her very dearly, and you can tell it's not easy to talk about. She's a delight. It's a great honor to care for such a wonderful person. Did you catch what he said at the end? He said, it's not that I have to, but that I get to, that she's a delight to me. Do you know that that's the way that God talks about us? That God talks about the way he loves us in those type of terms? That he doesn't have to love us, he's not under obligation to love us, but that he gets to love us because he delights in us. I think there are some people here today whose marriages are not what we want them to be. It's not that garden space of trust, love, and acceptance that we always thought it would be. And so how can we possibly love and attain marriages like Ephesians 5 suggests? And there is only one way. It's to know that we love because He first loved us. You will never love in your marriage the way that Ephesians 5 is unless you understand the way that God loves you. That God loved us not because we were lovely, but He loved us because He wanted to make us lovely. And He uses marriage to do that. You see, <clears throat> what do we do if this is not what our marriage is? If you're here today and this is not your life, you've experienced a failed marriage, you're in the midst of a turmoil marriage. You know, your space is not one of love, trust, and acceptance. It's rather one of bitterness, suspicion, and rejection. What do you do about that? And it's really simple. You believe the gospel. You believe that there is a love that God has that cannot be shaken for you. That regardless of the ups and downs of your lives, the trials and the tribulations, the failures that you have obtained, that His love is unshakable for you. When you begin to believe that, and when that sinks from your head into your heart, then you can start pulling weeds from your garden. Until then, it's, a, it's an arduous task that will never be complete. So what do we do if this is what we want our marriage to be? 
where we know the love that cannot be taken from us, the love that will never let us go, the love that God has shown to sinners in Jesus Christ. Would that be true of us as a church, of you as people, of us as husbands and wives, loving, submitting, sacrificing, caring for each other, not because we have to, but because we get to, and we delight in that. Let's pray and ask God to bless that. Father in heaven, sometimes we read your word and it can be a heavy weight on us. Lord, we, we hear what we're supposed to be and we know we're not that. And um, Lord, I pray that today that, that this would not be primarily about what we're supposed to be, but who we are in Christ. That there would be people here today who are hurting and longing for love that they would look to the source for that in your son Jesus. And um, Lord, we want our marriages to be those spaces. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do that in our church, that you would help us to pull weeds out of our gardens and that um, the space of love, trust, and acceptance would, would thrive in our marriages so that Jesus and his gospel would be put on display. We pray these things in his matchless name.